0: Thank you for coming. Um, Again, like um, my husband said, uh, my name is Jackie Lovers. I spend most of my day up the street at Calvin University teaching pediatric nursing. uh, But I spend um, some time also in private practice as well. Um, And so um, when Brenda got a hold of me and wondered, and we were kind of imagining what sort of things um, should we talk about with regard to pediatric health, um, asthma um, came kind of to the top of my mind. So I don't come here today as the world's most foremost asthma specialist. I don't um, work specifically in pulmonology, although I do see a lot of asthmatics. Um, But what what I come here with today is the idea that you, um, as teachers and educators, um, spend so much more of your day with students um, than I do. Um, when I see them, I see them um, in my office and practice setting for about five to ten minutes. Maybe, maybe you really have that really good view of what happens. And so my goal for today is just think about how can we partner, um, how does me thinking about what do kids do at school and you thinking about um, what about that asthmatic student in my classroom. So I'm not being sponsored by any drug companies today. Um, it's just me. So... All right, so um, we'll review a little bit about asthma. Um, we'll think a little bit about medications. We'll think about um, this diagnosis that we call exercise-induced asthma. Uh, we'll recognize asthma-related emergencies and then think about, well, how can school be a healthy environment for students with asthma? I feel like everybody starts a presentation, right, with a bunch of statistics. Um, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on this other than to think about one in 10 school-aged children has asthma. So my kids went to Byron Center Christian, so if I think about that, that means there's 50 asthmatics um, in those hallways. Um, And so really the scope of the problem is large and it's increasing. Um, Unfortunately, we do see asthma-related deaths every year in Michigan. Um, This is, I think, one to think about when I think about what do kids need to thrive? They need to be in school. They need to be with their peers. They need to be getting good education. So if we're talking about diagnoses that cause kids to miss school, then we need to be thinking about, well, how can we get kids to be at school and to be healthy? Third leading cause of hospitalization. Um, And at Calvin, we talk a lot about this, about the justice part um, of asthma. So just like with COVID, um, we see a lot about asthma, um, social determinants of health, people from racial minorities and poverty are much more likely to struggle with asthma be hospitalized with asthma. The burden of the disease is greater there. So what is it? Um, just so we're all kind of thinking about the same thing, um, asthma is reversible. Um, what does that mean? That means with proper treatment, it can go into remission and stay into remission. It also means that we should expect that kids with asthma can do everything that their non asthmatic peers can do. Um, it just takes some education. It, it takes some some tweaking of their medications. Um, Airway, or excuse me, asthma is an airway hyper-responsiveness. So in other words, if I'm an asthmatic and I go out into the cold, I get on an elevator with someone wearing um, a lot of perfume, I experience secondhand smoke, my lungs react differently than that of my non-asthmatic peers. Um, This hyper-responsiveness causes airway swelling And we'll talk about this as kind of the mainstay of asthma in a minute. Airway spasm, that's what we tend to hear. We tend to hear wheezing, we tend to hear coughing, and then this increased mucus production. So when we are actually seeing asthma and seeing the symptoms, we're seeing a child have some difficulty breathing, uh, we're seeing a child in um, hearing them wheeze, hearing them cough. We're actually only seeing this part uh, if we think about the tip of the iceberg. Um, so what we really have in here again is this airway inflammation, swelling of the airway. Um, we have this hyper-responsiveness to whatever the trigger was, um, and then we have airflow obstruction. Um, and so when we aim to treat asthma, we really have to get at all three components. We tend to think when we treat um, asthma with just a quick relief medication, we're typically only treating this right here, and we're missing some of the other pieces. So who gets asthma? Can we predict it? Um, Do we know? Well, maybe. How's that for an answer? Um, We call this in healthcare, we call this the atopic triad. Um, So we know that if a child has one of these things, atopic dermatitis or eczema, allergic rhinitis, either perennial, meaning year-round, or seasonal, um, they are more likely to have asthma. Um, Or if they have asthma, they're more likely to have the other things. Um, So this is what we know. Um, Researchers have done this thing called the Asthma Predictive Index, um, and they've looked at kids with asthma um, and tried to predict which kids who wheeze early in life are more likely to wheeze late in life. Um, in other words, which kids might outgrow this diagnosis of asthma and which ones probably won't they've concluded that if the, if the mom has a history of asthma um, they're less likely to outgrow it um, they've concluded that if they wheeze with a lot of respiratory infections as infants they're less likely to outgrow that they've also concluded that if they have one an extra one of these things in addition to wheezing they're less likely to outgrow that Infection with RSV. RSV stands for respiratory syncytial virus. Helen DeVos Children's Hospital is full of RSV right now. Um, and it's a very actually weird pattern. Um, pediatric people are used to seeing RSV in January, February, March. Um, but now we're seeing it in September, October. We don't really know what November brings. Um, pandemic related, mask related. Um, for the longest time, we had all kids out of daycare so they weren't just passing the normal germs. But RSV is really a chicken and the egg conversation. Um, RSV um, and the relationship with subsequent asthma, um, did that child have a likelihood to have asthma anyway and RSV brought it out? Or did RSV actually start the whole um, cascade? So we're not really sure um, about that, but we do know there is a relationship. If you have an infant with RSV in October, they're going to have a really long winter. Um, they're going to be wheezy probably all winter. Um, and that's what we're seeing right now. Um, I actually admitted a child with RSV last week. Um, so they're going to have a long winter. Um, hopefully we can manage them well. Yes? Would
1: it be if to do a picture
0: of your slide? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And then the other thing is this idea of um, exposure to poor air quality. Um, And so thinking about exposure to secondhand smoke, admittedly we're seeing less, at least in my practice, of that, um, of parents smoking tobacco. Um, But our incidence of parents smoking marijuana is climbing, so we still have airway irritants, we just have different airway irritants. Um, It's not better by any means. And then poor environmental air quality. This goes back to um, the idea that children who live in poverty are more likely to have asthma because um, one of the things for environmental air quality, um, where do we tend to build housing projects? We build them along busy highways. Busy highways are full of diesel um, and exhaust, and um, the more diesel and exhaust exposure you have, the more irritated your lungs become over time. Um, there's been some studies of kids in New York City with like little backpack air quality monitors on, like you know actually tracking this, so it's been very interesting. So it all starts with a trigger. Um, And here's just a list of some of the possible triggers here. Um, When we look at this, um, if we look here at pollen, right, we're talking about um, seasonal allergies. But if we're looking here, dust mite, we're looking at mold, these are what we call perennial allergies. So the allergens that live in our house 365 days a year. Um, Kids who have um, allergies to these sort of things, Um, will have some year-round allergy that they struggle with, or asthma, rather, that they struggle with. Um, The dust mite, yes, we'll talk about him in a little bit. Um, And some of these are very easy to get rid of, right? If we prove that you're allergic to your cat, we can talk to you about getting rid of your cat. Uh, We actually recently had a dog conversation with one of our our families about this. In the practice, it was very emotional. Um, So um, yeah, it all starts with a trigger. The trigger then sets off a cascade of events. Um, But I wanted to just show you this a minute. Um, Has anybody seen an asthma action plan before? Yes, okay. Um, Children who have written asthma action plans from myself as a primary care provider, the pulmonologist, anybody, um, are actually statistically proven less likely to die from asthma than their children who don't have, um, have these. But it needs to be shared among their village. And in 2021, um, the village for kids is probably bigger than it's ever been. So you have school, you have the after care provider, you know, after-school care provider, and perhaps before school. Um, mom and dad aren't together anymore, so you have those two households. You have grandma's household because she once in a while does a night during the week. Um, so really, everybody in their village should have a copy of this, um, whether it's a formal action plan. Um, I listened to a speaker once who said, or it's written on a napkin, um, wherever it's written, it needs to be shared in the village so that everybody knows what to do. So these are actually fillable PDFs free on the internet. They're super easy to find. Um, We use the ones in my practice from the University of Michigan, um, and they actually auto-populate really nice. All right, so the asthma medications. Um, There's two families of medicines out there. There's the quick relief medications, uh, we'll talk about the, those in a minute, and then there's the controller medicines. Now, a little bit ago, I said um, that when we looked at this, I said the components of asthma are first and foremost airway inflammation, secondary bronchial hyperresponsiveness. So when we look at the medications, You've gotta love the YouTube, the YouTube in the background, huh? Love it. All right, so when you look at the medications, the oral steroids or the controller medications treat airway inflammation. Students should not be taking these at school. Why? Because they provide no relief in the moment. These are medications you take every day, whether you feel like you have symptoms or not. They control inflammation, not bronchospasm. Now, we know that when your airway inflammation goes down, your bronchospasm goes down. But if a patient is having wheezing, difficulty breathing, coughing, these medications will do nothing for their symptoms. And that's actually a really hard sell to parents. Um, Your child needs to take this medicine whether they feel well that day or not. Because no parent, myself included, likes to give their kid medicine every day. Um, Much less a medicine that maybe their child fights them to take. but kids who stay on these um, airway long-term controller medications grow up to have healthier lungs than the kids who don't. Uh, there's been some studies that have looked at that. Now, I will tell you, having worked in pediatrics for a long time, that parents always get these confused. Um, and so sometimes, I'll, in fact, I was just talking to a mom last week whose um, daughter, was her asthma, she was just really struggling. And I said, so what medicine did you give her this morning? Well, I gave her this one, she said. And I said, well, you give her that one when she has symptoms. No, I give her this one when she has symptoms. And so they have the medications backwards a lot. So if you're seeing patients take um, something that looks like a steroid to you, um, they should not be doing it at school. They should be taking their quick relief medicine at school. Um, These will quickly relieve symptoms or prevent exercise symptoms. No medicine is perfect, right? Um, I wish there was. Um, Ventolin, which goes by these names also, albuterol, ProAir, Xopenex, these are all names for the same thing. Um, these drugs all attach to the muscles on the airway um, to relax them um, and to help them move air move in and out. So it makes the patients feel better. That's another thing they don't like. They don't feel when they take this, right? They don't feel that it's doing anything. They feel that this does. So if I want to feel better, they think I take this one. Um, So unfortunately, um, nothing is without side effects. The medicine can't tell the difference between the receptors on your airways that it needs to attach to, and the receptors on the smooth muscle in your heart, and the receptors in your nervous system. And so when you have kids taking this medicine, whether it's before PE or kind of as needed um, throughout the day, you can see kids have some side effects. Tremor, um, they can have a little bit of a fine motor tremor that you might see when they're trying to hold a pen. Uh, You can see increased heart rate. um, And so sometimes they, they actually say they don't feel, like they feel funny in their chest. Um, and it creates a letter of, level of jitteriness as well. One of the pediatricians I work with had asthma as a child, and he would say that, like, trying to pay attention in class when you have a body full of albuterol is really hard. Um, and so you get some jitteriness. Um, when the receptors are full, they are full. Oops. And I'll talk um, a little bit more about that in a little bit when we talk to asthma, about asthma-related emergencies. But there comes a when if your patient is really sick, giving them more of this medicine actually doesn't help that much more. Um, So Ventolin to the rescue. All right, in December of 2020 last year, um, at the federal government level, um, they passed um, this program um, that is called the School-Based Allergies and Acid Management Program. Um, And what the federal government is hoping to do Um, was these things in schools, Um, so education for school staff, efforts to reduce triggers, support for families, Uh, but I think these are the big ones up here, right? Uh, Knowing who your asthmatic students are and what their action plans call for. Um, So this happened at the federal level but then they left it up to the states for implementation The other thing they left up to the states for implementation was having albuterol just at school, not necessarily prescribed for any one student. So if you had an asthmatic student in your classroom that maybe left their albuterol at home that day, you would have some at school for them. Or um, somebody who maybe didn't know they had asthma who now is acting like they do. So this is the states that have taken this up. The purple states um, have adopted this. Michigan, um, unfortunately, has not. Um, anybody from Illinois, Indiana here? You have um, taken this up. Um, so according to the Asthma and Allergy Foundation, because I practice in Michigan, I don't know how that's actually enacted in those states, but you should be able to just have albuterol at school. Do you? We do. Yeah? We do. Hooray, yep. hooray. Hooray. So um, I'm hoping that um, we can get more states to take this up as well. All right, the other thing about using albuterol in schools um, or using albuterol anywhere um, is it has to be used properly. And I've heard a pulmonologist say if you can dream up a way to use um, an inhaler the wrong way, it's been wrecked. It's been done. Uh, So I thought maybe we could use a little humor after lunch because presenting after lunch is like, the worst part you can draw I think um, so I'm going to just play this um, this poor
1: lady and her asthma isn't getting any better my asthma they said they'd fix it but it didn't make any difference at all well sometimes doctors make mistakes Anna you
0: need to try it. twice as hard to fix them You're using your inhaler
1: all the time go through one a week
0: You sure you're using it right?
1: Do I look like an idiot? (laughs) No. Why don't you show me how your inhaler
0: works? (laughs) For the first time ever, House is speechless, right? (laughs) Uh, What was that all about? Jamaican chicken recipes. So. No. my eyes go. So um, so what this you know speaks to of course the wrong way to use an um, inhaler. So what is the right way? Uh, this slide I actually took this out of the text one of the textbooks I use with my students um, and it talks about well what's the difference right between using um, an inhaler with a spacing device and without a spacing device? The goal um, of using um, an inhaler is to actually get the medicine into your lungs. This right down here on the bronchial tree is where this medicine works. We want it here. So without a spacer, people estimate that you actually shoot 80% of the medicine at the back of your throat. Um, So if you've ever seen somebody cough after using their inhaler, that's probably why. A spacing device is a device that... um, parents get from their prescriber, um, and it has a one-way valve in it. So the patient it, um, pumps the inhaler, the medicine goes into this holding chamber, and the holding chamber is breath-actuated. And so until they take a deep breath, the medicine just kind of stays right in there. And we typically tell our patients um, to take three to six deep breaths per pump on the on inhaler. And we've had kids even as young as like nine months can do it. Um, those, those kids get one over their nose. Um, but it just helps them actually get the medicine where we want it to be because we know it doesn't do any good at the back of your throat. That's not where the problem is. The problem is right here. Kids don't like to use spacers. Um, it's amazing to me how frequently families and kids lose their spacers and we replace them. Um, but we do demonstrate and teach them with a spacer always. Um, And so if they're not using one, they are not likely getting the best result from their medication. So if this is what asthma is, um, then how do we think about that for exercise-induced asthma? So exercise-induced asthma has exercise as the trigger, but then we always ask ourselves, or is it really? Um, because are we just seeing exercise as the tip of the iceberg? Um, And so one of the things that we're trying to delve into when we see a patient who wants to talk about this is, is there more behind there? So there's several ways you can do that. One way you can do that is through pulmonary function testing, which is a very complicated testing. Has anybody ever done it or seen it done? Um, Actually, not a lot of people are doing them right now because of COVID. Um, but you have a laptop or a computer with a sophisticated program on it, and you have a breathing device, and you ask the patient to take a deep breath and you blow out as hard as they can. And so the one in our office actually looks like you're blowing out a fire or birthday candles, um, so the kids have a visual. And they have to blow out for five seconds. And you might think to yourself, that's easy. It's really hard to blow out for five seconds. Um, but what we're trying to measure is how well do they breathe out with what force. So that's one way you can make this diagnosis. You can also put kids on a treadmill, give them a, a medication called methacholine, see what their lungs do. Um, that's a, a very expensive way to do it. We tend to do it based on a series of questions. There's a standardized scale called the asthma symptoms test, um, the AST Um, But then there's a lot of research that looks at these three questions um, to determine who really has quite a bit of asthma. So are you using an inhaler a lot, more than twice a week? Are you waking up coughing more than twice a month? Or do you use more than two inhalers full a year? So when she said a minute ago, I use an inhaler full a week, she was telling how she used 200 puffs of albuterol a week. That's a lot, right? If we have kids using that much albuterol, um, we're on the wrong path. Um, We need to do something different with them. So is your breathless student athlete, or does your student athlete have asthma, or is it? Um, Here's these other things. Poor conditioning, Um, I think that's very possible. In my area of practice, um, childhood obesity is taking a very steep up curve as childhood conditioning is going down. It's amazing when I talk to patients in the office. So, like, you know, what do you do when you get home from school? Um, I actually get very discouraged and don't want to ask that question a whole lot more. Um, or, um, yeah, are you getting any exercise? Those sort of questions. So poor conditioning. If a patient has poor conditioning, they're out of shape, right? They are going to become breathless with exercise. Um, however, um, that breathlessness will resolve when the patient stops. So if I say you know, go run a lap around the school, they come back to me, they're um, breathless, that breathlessness resolves quite quickly. Um, and with a little bit of time they can be ready to go again. Um, and we can be ready to push them. That's in stark contrast to exercise induced asthma. We're seeing a whole new set um, of student athletes um, with chest pain and shortness of breath post-COVID. So post-COVID infection um, is um, causing some havoc on our patients and there's a whole post-COVID return to play um, progression um, that you may or may not be familiar with Um, but it may be a a student pushing too hard past their post-COVID diagnosis. We think post-COVID is actually more cardiac related than pulmonary um, and we have seen um, the number of cardiac referrals skyrocketing in these kids with some mild myocarditis um, following COVID. Um, the other one is low iron stores. Um, I'm going to go to the next slide on that one. Um, low iron stores. Um, one of the things um, I've noticed um, in my practice, and I don't know if this mirrors your student population. Um, is becoming somewhat trendy in my practice to um, become new vegetarians. Um, so I'm going to be vegetarian, um, nurse practitioner lovers, and I'm like, that's, you know, I, I respect that, that's great, but I want you to do it well. Um, and so we have some resources for them. Um, we have some dietitians in our area that are great working with these kids to make sure their iron stores are where they should be. Um, because just saying I'm not going to eat meat Um, we have to be really intentional about replacing those iron stores. If you couple that uh, with a heavy menstruating female athlete um, who's menstruating so heavy um, that doesn't really have time to recover in between those periods, you have an anemic patient. Um, And I'm amazed um, how often I'm finding anemic patients in the last couple years. Um, So I'm not exactly sure what to hang that on, But if it's a dietary thing, um, if it's this heavy menstruation, some families tend to run a little low in their iron and just need to be on a regular iron supplement. Um, So if you have a breathless student-athlete an exercise-induced asthma doesn't fit, and we'll talk more about fitting in just a minute, this is another thing to think about. Um, Another one is this idea of vocal cord dysfunction. Um, More recently diagnosed or recently kind of made aware of, Um, This is a um, disorder where the vocal cords don't open and close properly. Um, And so, yes, they have airflow obstruction, but it's at the level of the vocal cords. It's not at the level of the airway down in here. One of the kind of keys to this um, is that they will describe um, a throat tightness and a difficulty getting air in because they're having symptoms at their voice box level, not down here. So they tend to make more inspiratory noise than expiratory noise. That's that wheezing sound that we hear. Um, the only way to make this diagnosis um, well is to actually um, send them to an ear, nose, and throat specialist and they can pass a little camera. Um, it's not super fun. Um, they, they numb up the nose. Pass, you see, you're shaking your head. Uh, pass a little camera and actually look at the vocal cords and see what's going on there. Um, but you can suspect it as well. Um, these kids also, they, they complain of shortness of breath. They have the cough. They can't move air well. But albuterol doesn't help. That's the other um, key. Well, are you using your albuterol? Yeah. Are you using it right? Yes. Uh, it's not helping, huh? No. Um, so that's kind of one of those rule outs. But if you're teasing it out, um, it's exercise-induced asthma if... Um, so let's think about just a minute the out of shape kid who I said now I want you to run a lap around this school right? That out of shape kid um, will recover soon after he or she is done exercising he might or she might feel like they're going to die for a minute but you tell them to stop they recover quickly, they're good to go again exercise induced asthma patient um, takes a long time to recover. When they're done running they're not ready to go again um, they're going to push back on that. Um, we think sometimes those symptoms can last for the rest of the day, or they can take like 30 to 45 minutes to resolve, um, but then they can actually reflare again later in the day with subsequent exercise or a new trigger. Um, so, and the symptoms also start um, after they've been exercising for a while. Um, so, they take a long time to recover. They cough. Uh, They tell you that their chest and throat feels tight, Um, so they they just say, oh, I just can't get this air moving at all. Exercise, to them, is exhausting um, rather than energizing. And so you may even see that in your patients as a refusal to exercise. Or the kid who's always looking to sit out of gym class because it's such hard work, uh, they don't want to do it. This may correlate with seasons of high allergy. So the seasons of high allergy, from a school perspective, are right about the time school starts. Labor Day is the ragweed bloom, right? Um, Springtime, think about mid-end of May as your pollen counts are rising. They rise well into June, but you guys are often out of school by then. Um, But those are your high allergen days. Um, Extreme temperatures. We started school um, this year in Michigan in some really high temperatures. Um, So people who have a temperature trigger are gonna struggle on those days. Same thing with super cold days. The student has a history of asthma or eczema. How do you know if kids have a history of allergies? This is what we call it in the office. We call it your allergic salute. The kids go like this all the time. Yeah, Or like this. You guys know that kid, right? they do it so much they have a little mark on their nose have you ever seen a kid with a mark on the bridge of their nose look one you're doing this all the time so they kind of like this gross sleeve too like I've seen that kid in my office I'm like really that's gross (laughs) but you know they've done this all day right so um, and then pre-treating with albuterol helps Um, they tell you um, yeah if I use that it definitely helps Just a second. Um, I want to go back to this one a minute. Um, Sorry, I got my thing messed up. My students know that I failed tech like in grad school, so I have students in a few of my classes who are like my tech experts. So uh, I guess I have my tech expert here today. Um, the other thing for your exercise-induced asthmatics: pre-treating with albuterol, but really giving them a long on-ramp to vigorous exercise, so making sure they're warmed up well and cooling down well. Yes.
1: Um, so I have a question regarding all of this too for like exercise-induced yeah. asthma. As far as have you ever seen like any correlation between allergy shots and what that does for any asthmatic mm-hmm. um, individual, and what that looks like?
0: Yes. What that? So, are you talking about exercise-induced asthma or just asthma in general? Yeah, I think, I think both. Um,
1: yes. We've had a couple of students, and um, even my sister and I went
0: through them as kids, uh-huh. and she has it more. And I guess I faded out a bit. but yeah, yeah. I'm so, just yeah, and you know, immunotherapy, um, dress can in kids whose asthma is very allergen-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if we go back to that trigger slide, mm-hmm. if your triggers are allergens. Um, immunotherapy will be very helpful for you, as well as really good environmental control. Um, a lot of parents are, I have parents who ask me a lot, well, can't we just do allergy shots? Like, well, you can, but can you get rid of your cat first, right, like, um, so we tend to kind of move towards those things. But if you can, if you have allergy-driven asthma, um, the allerg- immunotherapy will be very helpful. If you have triggers that aren't allergies, though, um, you you may find that it's a little better, but maybe not totally gone. Does that help answer your question? Yeah,
1: i was just wondering how that plays in with yeah. um, you
0: know, what we've been discussing. So yeah. And, yeah, yeah. So, pure exercise-induced asthma. Exercise is the trigger, right? So, so we can't get that necessarily get rid of that. But if we can get rid of, remember the um, the tip of the iceberg. If we can get rid of that allergy piece of the iceberg, we should have less severe. I'm yes. With the pre treating with um, the obliterator, you talked about like some shaking, those types yes. of side effects. Is there side effects to like, you know, he pre treats after school every day in every sports season, you know, like yeah. long term side effects <clears throat> that. You know? Yeah, we don't think so. So, no, if you have um, a student athlete, Right, That's why we qualify, right? Are you using more than two canisters of albuterol a year outside of exercise? Um, because some kids do that. So if you if you are a patient whose asthma is poorly controlled and you overuse albuterol day after day after day, so you're using it every two to four hours round the clock for days and weeks, um, we think that the... Um, the receptors on the airways lose their affinity for the drug, so it kind of quits working. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what you're describing, a patient or student who does that every day after school in preparation for, has no problems at all, so no long-term. And once the medication falls off that receptor, um, those symptoms go away. Um, And we think it falls off the neurologic receptors faster than the respiratory receptors. So we see a lot of that tremor go away first um, and then the drug kind of wears off. Does that answer your question? Okay. Alright. Recognizing asthma emergencies in the classroom or sporting event. So I would, if I could summarize this slide, um, I'd like to just say um, don't be a hero when it comes to a child having an asthma attack. Activate the EMS system knowing that you can always call them off. Um, 10 to 15 kids a year die of asthma um, in Michigan, and that's all unnecessary. Um, we have the medications to treat it. Um, this one, the wheezing stops, that's really misleading. Um, we, when I used to work in pediatric intensive care, we, I remember distinctly it was the middle of the night, we admitted up a child um, whose parents didn't take him in because his wheezing stopped, so he must be doing better you have to move air to wheeze. Um, and so if an asthmatic is getting worse and worse, you're hearing wheeze, the wheezing's getting worse, the wheezing's getting worse, the wheezing stops, they quit moving enough air to wheeze. Um, they are on the verge um, of total respiratory collapse. So don't just think about the wheezing. We have to think about the wheezing in the context of how is the child looking overall? Um, can they speak in a complete sentence? Or are they kind of talking like this, right? Those short, clipped sentences, um, those are really concerning. Uh, you're giving the patient their rescue medicines, so their albuterol, and it's not helping. When the receptors are full, the receptors are full. Um, it's not helping. Um, your child um, is turning kind of this color that you're not comfortable with. Um, so err on the side of calling 911 and um, get get that child the help that they need. They need some oxygen. Um, They need um, continuous nebulized treatments. Um, They need some advanced airway support. So asthma cannot be cured. Uh, I said that earlier, Um, but it can be controlled, and we should expect nothing less. Um, So how can schools help? I was thinking about this the other day. Um, Stay one step ahead of triggers um, is one of my things. Is there a question about Oh, sorry, you're doing your, sounds good. (laughs) Um, So what are triggers um, that we can control? Uh, We cannot control pollen. Uh, We cannot control extreme temperatures. Um, We can control dust mites. We can control mold. Um, we can control, to an extent, animal dander. Um, if we're a classroom that has animals, my husband teaches um, science, there's animals in that classroom, but none with dander. <laughs> so um, does anybody know where dust mites live, what their favorite place to live is? Carpet. Um, their second favorite place to live um, is bedding, um, but also pillows. And one that's unique to kids um, is stuffed animals. Um, If you think about that little that stuffed animal, right, full of um, dust mites. So just even thinking about that, right? If you have a sofa in your class, what is that? If you have pillows on it, um, if you have carpet squares, you know, for kids with dust mite allergy, these are really tricky. Um, The allergist tells those parents um, to put hardwood. Um, in their kids' bedrooms to put casings on pillows and on mattresses. Um, There's an allergist in Grand Rapids um, who has a Rubbermaid tote in her daughter's bedroom who has dust mite allergens because that's where the stuffed animals go at night. Because if you think about it from a kid's perspective if they sleep with that dust mite full stuffed animal all night um, their exposure to the allergen is there all night. So they can go in the Rubbermaid tote to sleep. The kid sleeps in their bed. So, staying one step ahead of triggers um, is really important. Being mindful of high allergen days um, in Grand Rapids, um, where I live, um, we get like an air quality report, um, especially on high days. Um, so, just being mindful of that—if you know your child has a hay, feed, hay fever allergy—they're um, going to be pretty miserable in early September. Um, so, be mindful of that. Post asthma action plans in highly visible spaces. Yes.
1: I was just going to say this is less of an issue. As um, my parents know this, this is less of an issue here in Michigan, but on the west coast,
0: uh-huh. when it's um, wildfire season. Oh yeah. There are lots of days where the um, the weather predictions of the day is smoky. Yeah. And that
1: my sister has missed school before because the air quality is yeah. so bad that they're not supposed to go outside.
0: Isn't that sad? Yes. I mean, kids need to be outside. They need to be in their community. Yeah, and to think like we can't even like medicate past that to get kids to do their kids stuff is sad. Mm-hmm. So no thanks for adding that. That's one I had thought have moved of. you have to the West Coast or, or Yeah. 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 Post-Asthma Action Plans and visible or High Visibility Spaces, um, I don't know what that space looks like where you are. Um, But um, just thinking about, okay, this third grader has asthma. What if one of my colleagues is doing playground duty and happens to see them struggling? Would they even know where to look um, to to know how to help this child? Um, Cue students to pre-medicate as needed um, and to keep inhalers in easy to reach spaces. Now, I know this is um, tricky in elementary classrooms because um, students can't carry their medicine in their backpack, right? Um, I know in high school they can do that. um, But yeah, where is that going to be? Who's going to supervise that? How do we cue that kid before we go to PE to go to the office and use their medicine? Um, How do we cue that kid before sports practice to use um, that inhaler? Do we take it along on our field trip? Uh, how does how does that discussion go? And again, is the field trip accompanying person know that there's an asthma action plan? Yes. Is there a question? Is the um, is pre taking inhaler a certain number of minutes before exercise <laughs> starts for them to be better than like if they are how important is it to do it beforehand if the kid just tends to forget? You get the same treatment if it's like symptoms have already started, or is it much better than it's better before. Okay. Yep, and they'll have a better, um, a better response. Okay. Yep. So encourage spacer use um, and encourage your students with exercise-induced asthma, that's just my shorthand, to do a warm a good warm-up and cool down to lengthen their on-ramp to the activity. Um, that should help um, as well. That's actually the end of my slides. Um, so I would love to um, ask any or answer any questions as they are available. Yes.
1: Hey, I uh, teach high school and I coach volleyball. Yep. And I oh, okay. wear masks while playing. Uh-huh. And uh, one of my girls as it is an asthmatic, but she and her family are really on top of it. But I felt so bad because I think she was panicking yeah. because she had the mask on and was... Mm-hmm. And, struggling to breathe and mm-hmm. do you have any suggestions? I guess you know, some officials would see it and say, you know what, just pull it on for a little while but others yeah. were like, No, you gotta keep it up and mm-hmm. you know, aside from coming out of the game and sitting. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for when they panic
0: with yeah. the mask
1: on? Is it just
0: the way it is? Yeah, and it's tricky with that, too, right? Because that panic by itself is mimicking external asthma exacerbation mm. sometimes. And so um, that's a good question. There's also been um, quite a bit of writing, um, and the experts who issue position statements have suggested that kids with asthma are no less likely to have a true asthma attack because of a mask yep. than that. Yep. Um So I would probably um, just—I don't know if if this student does some mindfulness, um, like as far as recognizing some early cues of when your anxiety is starting to um, starting to. Okay, so what's the first thing you feel? How can we interact, or how can we do something when you have the first feel, so that we don't, you know, go all the way up? So whether that's you turn around and take a couple nice deep breaths, Uh, we go through square breathing a lot with our students, where where or. Patients, where they breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four, breathe out for four, hold for four, um, because that kind of recenters that oxygen delivery to the brain to kind of slow down um, some of that flight or flight response that they're starting to have in response to anxiety. So I don't know if that's a great no, no, answer. That's, no, that's good to know. Yeah, those are, it's, it's hard. Um, it's really hard. I hope that we can get students back to not having to do this at some point. anything else?
1: Yes? So would you say proper breathing also contributes to leading into exercise-induced asthma? Because, um, like I coach basketball, and like I'm just a runner in general, uh-huh. and I know with certain running groups, they tell you how to breathe, mm-hmm. and not just while you're running. And there are some athletes that we come across that have no idea how to breathe mm-hmm. when they're doing long sprints or when they're doing long runs. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes they get those we'll call them symptoms. Mm-hmm. And it's like are you dealing with this or are you just out of shape? But I'm wondering does, does the proper breathing technique fall into either category?
0: I think the proper breathing technique speaks to some of this, you know, like kind of what um, she was saying to you about like symptoms that mask right. um, exercise these asthma. So again, can you teach can you coach them through that, what that looks like? Um, and if it improves with proper coaching and proper um, you know, proper breathing, um, it wasn't exercise-induced asthma, although it may look like it early on. And so that's why teasing that out is really tricky. I personally think that we have, from a prescriber standpoint, erred on the side of writing too many exercise-induced asthma scripts. Um, because it's tricky and it's hard to pin your finger on the diagnosis, and um, so we've probably erred on that side. Um, but yeah, here's some of your other you know, things that it could be. So. Anything else? Yeah. Just speaking to that last
1: point, I personally have that. Um, I've been a track all my life, and I really, really, really hate long-distance running because uh-huh. I'm bad at it. And I got semi-diagnosed with exercise and asthma, okay. and I was definitely just having my Right? Which led
0: to wheezing. Yeah. You know, um, mm-hmm. But it definitely can, can mask yes. that. Yes, it does. And so that's why, too, when, if you ever went back and said, I have this inhaler, it's not helping, right, mm-hmm. then you're having to tease some of that out, Um so that can be really tricky. So you're trying to make the diagnosis right on the first, in the first place, and then trying to revisit it if you're not getting the response that you want. And especially the younger kids. Yeah. Like
1: I was 11 at that time. I had no idea. Right. What, what, what I was? I knew I felt bad, and I knew I couldn't breathe. And right. I was exercising. It. The doctor looked at those things. It's exactly. So yeah. This is
0: mostly. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have the words to describe that better about how you're feeling inside or. Thanks for sharing, that's interesting. Yeah. We wish you could just look inside, right? And say what's going on inside <laughs> there?" Sure. All right. Thank, thank you for you your attention. Ahead. Um and good conversation. Thanks for sharing your stories too. Um, thank you for sharing. Yes. Yes. Yes.